If you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah. Is that me? No, I'm not going to take any responsibility for that. Isaiah 9. I will... Uh, is that... Make me cry too. Are we good? Okay. Um, I will uh, re-emphasize what Kim said about the day of healing prayer on Monday the 17th um, from 9 to 11. It's a drop-in deal. You don't... 11 to 1. Um, don't come at 9. From 11 to 1, it's a drop-in thing. You don't have to stay the whole time. But the setup, if you're not familiar, it's, it's what Kim said. You would come in, there would be music playing. Someone would... If someone was being prayed for, they'd sit down, they'd just write their name on a card and what they want prayer for, bad back, bad knee, business, whatever, and tape it to the back of their chair. And then people just walk around and pray, kind of praying over them. There's no counseling, there's no talking, none of that type of deal is going on. And when someone's done, they get up and they leave. So it's really a pretty, it's a low impact, kind of low stress environment. So if any of you have any issues where you would like prayer, come. If there's someone that you'd like to bring, come. If there's someone who needs prayer and they don't want to come, you can come and you can sit in for them and, and just write on the card that that's what you're doing. So that's Monday the 17th. This is Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As men rejoice when dividing the plunder, for in the defeat of, in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We're going to kind of bounce off of this passage over the next few weeks. Today we're going to look particularly at the idea of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. This is Matthew 2, uh, starting in verse 13. When they had gone, that's um, the wise men had gone. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, of voices heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. When we think about the Christmas story, we kind of leave out that little part. Uh, nobody wants their kid to dress up like Herod in the Christmas play, and rightfully so. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of redeeming value there. It's a horrible incident. And uh, who wants to talk about it? Not me. So uh, we're not going to dwell there, but I do want you to see this. From the beginning, there have always been enemies to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Always. And there still are. Um, the same spiritual 
forces that motivated Herod to go through and just wipe out all of these boys under the age of two, those same spiritual forces still seek to steal and kill and destroy today. Now, they can't touch Jesus. After his resurrection, Herod had a, Satan had a shot, and it was during the 30 years of Jesus' life, and he, he didn't get it. He wasn't able uh, to touch Jesus during that time, and through Jesus' death and resurrection, he's defeated Satan finally and fully, and it's a done deal. That game is over. But Satan still has time on this earth, and he still has power on this earth, and so he comes after us. And he still seeks to, um, he can't destroy the Prince of Peace, but he can make it really hard for us to experience the peace that Jesus longs to give us. And so this morning I want to look at some of the enemies of peace. There's researchers say that during the holiday season, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, women, 50% of women, their stress goes up um, a measurable amount. And for men, it's 40%. They call that holiday stress. Very creative name. And there's kind of three major causes for it, and you already know what they are. Finances, um, either people not having enough money, running up their credit cards, which obviously is tied to not having enough money, or the pressure of gift-giving, which causes you to run up your credit card. So finances, missing a lost loved one, or having too much to do. And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles and um, websites and all of these things that will help you deal with your holiday stress. I mean, they tell you to try yoga, to exercise, not to eat, not to drink. Then other sites say you need to eat a little bit, and you need to drink a little bit. And you can pick which one of those happens to suit you. You, you know, they say... One said, don't watch TV because it's not designed to make you a better person. One said, pick a religion based on love and practice it. I guess for a month you can sign up, go to wherever this religion based on, and it will help you. Um, some say, don't spend too much money, but make sure you indulge yourself because you're worth it. And one was t- talking about this um, luxurious spa treatment that you needed to try as you're shopping some say don't you know, spend time with your family, you want to pull them together, you need your support network. Others say make sure you keep your family at a distance and have time for yourself. So whatever you want to do, there's a lot out there and you can find an expert that will support you in your decisions. <laughs> I would say if you're feeling holiday stress, whatever, hang on till the 26th, it'll be over. The things that we're talking about today are much bigger than that. The, the things I want to talk about today, these kind of enemies of peace, they don't, they don't roll off just because it's the 26th. And it's a much, not to make light of people who do feel stressed, that happens in our house as well um, during the holidays. But the things I want to talk about today are, these are significant issues that uh, many of you may wrestle with continually. Maybe not constantly, but they're things that, keep, that recur. Um, it's almost like a cycle. And uh, they're not going to go away unless you deal with them. The thing about Jesus' peace is it's real. It's not artificial. And so he tends to, his peace comes through, not around. I hate conflict to the core of, I can't watch reality TV because of, like, when someone's criticized, I can't handle that. I can't watch stand-up comics because I'm afraid they're going to bomb and it's, it's gonna, I'm going to feel bad for them. I can't watch, like, Meet the Parents is brutal for me. <laughs> When all of that emotional stuff, I can't do any of that. I get nervous. I have to get up and leave. I couldn't watch The Office for an entire season because of the tension. Do y'all watch The Office? The tension between Jim and, what's her name? Pam. I couldn't watch it. Now that they're together, I can watch it because the tension's not there. So I missed an entire season of that. I just can't do it. 
I'm a sissy when it comes to all things that are emo- that require emotional engagement and conflict. But Jesus isn't. And His peace comes through, not around. And so, w- peace is not just, it's not the absence of things, it's the presence of things. We'll talk about that in a second. And it's real, it's not artificial. He doesn't just sweep things under the rug. We have to deal with whatever it is, these enemies, these obstacles, we have to deal with them. We can't just pretend they're not there. And He's not going to pretend they're not there. Because then that's fake. That's not real peace. That's that's something else. That's putting on a smile because of the situation you're in. But God goes deeper than that. And he wants us to truly experience his peace. And so, all that to say, we've got to deal with what's going on. We can't just sweep it under the rug. This is a biblical definition of peace. Um, we've talked about this before. Uh, the English word peace translates a Hebrew word, shalom, which is one of the most significant words in the whole Old Testament. And it means uh, harmony or well-being in every area of life. Harmony or well-being in every area of life. It's not just the absence of conflict or the absence of war. Here's some synonyms. This is a long list. Completeness, fulfillment, friendship, maturity, welfare, soundness, wholeness, tranquility, well-being, health, harmony, success, prosperity, and security. So Jesus, according to Isaiah 9, is the prince of completeness, fulfillment, friendship, maturity, welfare, soundness, wholeness, tranquility, well-being, health, harmony, success, prosperity, and security. Again, this is a lot more than the absence of conflict or the absence of war or anything like that. This is the presence of all of these blessings. Peace is not that certain things aren't happening, it's that certain things are. It's a positive, not a negative. You hear the difference there? Peace is not the removal of things, it's the presence of something. It's the presence of well-being and health and security and all of those things that I just listed. And you can experience that peace regardless of your circumstances. If your peace is dependent upon your circumstances, you're sunk. Because your circumstances change all the time and you don't control them. And neither do I. So if, if that's what we're banking on, is having calm seas to sail on, then we're done. Because that's not going to happen. And we'll experience some times of that in our life. And then we'll experience times where it's rough and it, we'll just have to hang on. And I would say, again, because God's peace is, is the presence of something and not the absence of something, it, there's a sense in which it really doesn't matter what your circumstances are. God's gifts are not contingent upon those type of external things. And the peace that he wants to give, the peace that Jesus is the prince of, all of those adjectives I just listed, you can experience all those things regardless of how crazy or hectic or ugly or whatever your life is at any particular moment. Now, when those things happen, those things can ruffle our feathers and kind of shake things up, but we can always get our bearings again and experience God's peace if we want to. The things I want to talk about today really have to do with what's inside, and if you can get your insides right, then your outsides won't affect you nearly as much. And if you can't get your insides right, it really won't matter what your outside, what's happening outside. You'll never experience peace. You won't. And that, that'll just be that. If you believe the Bible, there are two things that I'll tell you you believe. If you think the Bible is an accurate description of who Jesus is, then according to what we just read, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's a fact. If you believe the Bible's accurate, then Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And if you believe the Bible is an accurate description of Jesus, then you believe that the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection are available to you by faith. John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that you'd have life and have it abundantly, specifically about peace. John 14.27, Jesus says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave you. 
That's pretty clear. If you believe the Bible's true, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and that peace he wants to give to you, and you can receive by faith, regardless of your circumstances. If you, if you remember, when Jesus said that to the disciples, that was right before he was crucified. Not necessarily a peaceful time for these people. The next three days for them were anything but peaceful. And if you look at the story of their life from, from that point on, not a lot of peace there either in terms of the external circumstances. And yet that's what he's saying. That just, I think, underscores this idea that his peace uh, we can experience regardless of our circumstances. Kind of the big enemy, you know what it is, it's sin. Uh, sin is not just the acts of sin like uh, lying and stealing and cheating and those things that we think of. Biblically, sin is anywhere where you miss the mark. You can miss, you can miss the mark with things that you do or things that you don't do. Um, what I want to talk about today really is how we miss the mark kind of inside on what we think. You can sin just when you don't line up with what God says is true about you, about other people, about the world, whatever. Those things are sin because it's missing the mark. And the remedy for sin is always to repent. It's to recognize, you know what, I missed the target. God, I recognize I missed the target. There's the target. I'm going to start shooting in that direction. That's repentance. And when you do that, you can experience his peace. Again, regardless of what's going on with your external circumstances. One other thing before I hit these enemies. Sometimes, and you might experience this in your own life, you feel restless and it has nothing to do with missing the mark or sin. It's because God's trying to take you from one place to another. Some of you maybe, when you uh, have, some of you've moved, changed jobs, changed careers, some of those kind of things have happened, and you felt kind of a restlessness inside. It just, it's kind of an, an energy. You're not satisfied with where you are. You want to go to something else. That's, um, that is a lack of peace, but I would say that's more of a stirring of God to take you from one thing to another. That's not what we're talking about this morning. That's wonderful, and if you have that going on, you need to figure out what God's trying to tell you, but that's not really what we're talking about today because that's not the result of you missing the mark in any way. That's just God trying to take you from A to B. And one of the ways he does that is he makes you dissatisfied with A, so you start looking for B. So if you're feeling that, that's wonderful. You just need to figure out what's going on in your heart, but that's not what we're talking about. Today, I would say anytime you feel a lack of peace, God is trying to tell you something. You just got to figure out what. Is he trying to move you from A to B, or have you missed the mark in some way? This is Philippians 2.3. Let me flip there. It'll be on the screen. Philippians 2.3 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Uh, one of, I think, one of the biggest obstacles to us experiencing peace is doing something out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul's very clear. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, God looks at our heart and anything that any of us do, no matter how good or noble it looks on the outside, giving away all our money, building the hospital, whatever it is that we're doing, saving the world, if we're doing it out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, God says, that's not acceptable to me. I don't like it. It's sinful. And I don't know. That does not have my stamp of approval. Y'all have heard this at weddings thousands of times. First Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. 
Um, the word translated selfish ambition really um, is a political word. Um, in the old school, it was called electioneering. I don't think anybody uses that word anymore. But it's basically someone doing whatever they have to do to get elected. We hate that when people do that. And vain conceit is very similar. It's exactly what you think. It's personal vanity. It's somebody who is ambitious for their own reputation, um, who's jealous, and it's just it's all about them and they're promoting their ego. We hate when people do that too. We hate that. And Paul says don't do anything out of either of those reasons. Don't do anything to push your own agenda or to get noticed. Biblically, the definition of love is doing what's best for somebody else regardless of what it costs you. That's not very romantic. That's not going to make it on any Valentine's Day cards, but that's what it is. Love is not, there's an emotional component, but it's not an emotion. It's a relational posture. Again, nobody, don't tell your wife that in the card. Honey, I have a, a, this relational posture towards you. You know, that's not going to help you. But that's what love is. It's saying, I'm going to do what's best for you regardless of what it costs me. I'm going to do what's best for you regardless of what it costs me. That's the opposite of selfish ambition or vain conceit, which says, I'm going to do what's best for me regardless of what it costs you. Paul says, you don't, anything you do out of that, is, it's, it doesn't matter what it is. Moving mountains, changing the world, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If that's the reason you're doing it, God says no. And anything you're doing out of love, God says yes. Even if you screw up, your heart's right. You're trying. And even if you do a great job and your heart's wrong, God says no. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but act out of love and I think that the deal, the reason that's a deal breaker when it comes to peace, the reason that's an enemy to peace is every time we choose to do something out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, what we're doing is we're taking the wheel. We're driving. And we don't know how to drive. And we need to recognize that. None of us can drive. God says, let me run your life, not because he has a huge ego and he's power hungry and he wants to drive you into a ditch. He does it because he knows he's the only one that knows how to drive. He's the only one that can navigate through life. He's the only one that will get you through life. You're not going to make it. You can't see what's going to happen in 30 minutes. God knows what's going to happen in 30 years. Who do you want driving the car? And anytime we do something out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, what we're doing is we're taking control. And we're saying, I'm, I'm pushing my... Even if it's a great agenda, it's yours. What we're saying is, I'm, I'm running the show now. I'm promoting my agenda. I'm pushing my agenda. I'm trying to get noticed. And even look at those in the best possible light. It doesn't matter. The reason those things are detestable to the Lord is because He knows you're going to wreck. You're going to wreck. None of us can drive very well for very long, and that's just, it is what it is. And so God says, let me drive because I'm the only one that knows how. Anything you do out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, it will rob you of your peace Because you're not cut out to drive and you're going to start to worry and you're going to get anxious and you're going to fret. Because there's so many things you can't control. And when you're trying to run the show, you realize how many things you can't control. Those of you, several of you, many of you maybe have moved in different levels of responsibility like at your job. And usually every time you take another step of responsibility, it's great at first and then you realize everything that you're responsible for. And you think, I can't do this. And there's those few days or weeks of panic and then you realize I got it I can do this that's what happens and when we try to control our life it's that same deal there's all kinds of things that you can't control and if you're driving the car then you're responsible for those things 
Anything you do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, that's what you're doing. You're taking the wheel and you're going to wreck. This is Mark 4, starting in verse 35. You've heard this story too. That day when evening came, he said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Uh, The first reason I think we lose peace or we're robbed of peace, the first enemy of peace is doing things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The second is fear or unbelief. And you can see in verse 40, those two things are tied together. When Jesus asks the questions, he says, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. You still not believe. Fear and lack of faith, fear and uh, lack of belief are tied together. Fear and unbelief are tied together. I'd say, if you can tell me what you're afraid of, this is a broad generalization, but it's, I think it's true. Tell me what you're afraid of, whatever it is, and I can just about guarantee it's because you don't trust the Lord in that area of your life whether it's your future, your family, your finances, whatever, if you're afraid, it's most likely because you don't trust God in that area of your life. You might trust him in all these other nine, but in this one, you don't. And fear creeps in. Faith is expressing trust in God. In the places where we don't trust him, that's where fear comes in. The places where you do trust him, most of you don't struggle with fear because you know he's got it. Whatever that is, Many of you are Christians, and most of you probably do not worry about what's going to happen when you die. You trust God with your eternal salvation. You, you, you don't worry about that. If you get, it'd be sad if you died, and you might think of what would happen to your life here and the people you love, but you don't worry about whether you're going to go to hell or not. You trust God with your eternal salvation. So there's no fear factor for you there. But there are other places where maybe there is. Again, maybe whatever that is for you, there's a thousand different things that we can be afraid of. And I would say, in general, it's because we don't trust God in those situations. And faith is not really this, it's not really an emotional deal either. There can be an emotional component. It's choosing to trust the Lord. So you can have faith even if you don't feel like it. A lot of times you have to have faith even though you don't feel like it. It's choosing to trust the Lord with whatever these situations is. And it's, it's worked out on a daily basis. When you're confronted with a situation, Are you going to choose to trust God or not? And if you say no, well, then you're opening the door to fear. The disciples were afraid because they didn't think God cared about them. They didn't think Jesus cared. You saw in verse 39, they say, don't you care if we drown? I don't know how he was asleep in that type of a storm. I don't know if he took Dramamine. I'm not sure how that works, that you can sleep in a storm when everyone else thinks they're going to die. I mean, that's if you've ever been on an airplane and there was turbulence, people don't sleep through that type of thing. I've never been on a boat where there was all this stuff going on, but I'm not seeing how you sleep through that either. But somehow, he's sleeping in the midst of all of this mess going on, and they say, don't you care about us? If they knew he cared, they wouldn't have worried. And the same thing's true of us. Show me where you're afraid, I'll show you where you don't trust God, and I'll bet the reason you don't trust him is because you don't think he cares. And you might say, i got a great reason to believe he doesn't care because I got this track record of him not coming through for me. Maybe, maybe not. But I would just, okay. The reason most of us don't trust God in whatever area we don't trust is because we don't think he cares about that area. Most of us intellectually think, no, God can do whatever he wants. 
What we don't know is what's he going to do. We know what he can do, we just don't know what he will do. And we really don't know what he'll do in our life. And if we have any bumps in the road, times where we thought he should have done something and he didn't, what that does for a lot of us is that knocks us down in terms of believing that he cares about us, believing that, he, that, that we can trust him, believing that he loves us in these specific areas. So, do you? Do you know he loves you and what are you afraid of? Most likely, it's because you're not trusting God in that area. And the reason you're not trusting God in that area, I would submit, is probably because you think he doesn't care. And you might have a good reason for thinking he doesn't care, but that's the root and that's what has to be dealt with. You're never going to experience peace in your life until you get that God cares about whatever that situation is. And that's a revelation. I can't talk you into that. No one else can. That's something the Lord has to show you, but you have to let him. You've got to be willing to go there to say, you know what, God, I really don't think you care about me here. I don't care if you think I ever get married. I don't care if you think I'm ever out of debt. I don't care if you think I ever, if my kids are safe. Whatever it is that you fear, do you really think he cares about that situation? This is Matthew 10. This is Jesus talking. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's probably not hard to do. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Mine is great. Um, That was unnecessary. Uh, last enemy of peace. I would say, one, doing things out of selfish ambition, bank and see. Two, fear, lack of trust. Three, is misaligned priorities. Um, Jesus is moving in a certain direction. He's the bus driver and the bus is going in a certain direction. You can read Revelation 21 and 22 to get a feel for where it's going. The rest of Revelation is really hard to understand. 21 and 22 are really clear. And it's, it's, it's the goal. He said, this is where all of creation and all of history is heading. And Jesus is driving that bus. He's got, he's got a one-track mind, and that's where he's going. And what he's looking for is people who will get on the bus with him and help him get there. And when our priorities don't line up with his priorities, when our agenda doesn't line up with his agenda, we're not going to experience peace. It's like if, if Misty and I and our three kids go on vacation, and I think vacation, my priority is spending time alone with Misty, and her priority is spending time together as a family, we're not going to experience a lot of peace. There's not going to be much shalom at the beach. Because every decision I'm making is trying to spend time with just her, which is going against what she wants to do, which is us spending time together. And every decision she's making for all of us to spend time together is running against what I want to do, which is us spending time alone. Now blow that up to life. And that's the picture Jesus is saying here. He is the dividing line that runs through every heart, every relationship, every situation. He's the dividing line. And you're not going to experience peace, and I'm not going to experience peace if I'm not on board with what he's doing. His job is not to fulfill my agenda. That's not in his job description. That's not, he's bigger than me, and his job is not to make me happy. My job is to figure out where he's going and to get on board. And if I don't, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to experience peace. And it's not because he's mean, it's not because he doesn't care, but it's because he's got an agenda and a purpose and he's driving the train. And so my choices are get on board or get out of the way. And those are the same choices that we all have. Again, in every relationship, in every situation, Jesus has an agenda and a purpose. We can know those things. 
And if we're not on board with that, we're not going to experience his peace. He's never going to meet our expectations because he's doing his agenda is different. And we look at him and say, I don't get it. You're not, I don't see what you're doing here. And the reason we don't see what he's doing is because we don't know where he's going. So the decisions don't make any sense. What he is or isn't doing doesn't make sense to us. And we've got to get that. If you want to experience his peace, then you have to get on board with his agenda. Otherwise, you're never going to do it. And that's what he's saying here in these verses. It's not that he's trying to turn family members against one another. It's he's the dividing line. And for people who choose him, they're going to be on one side, and people who reject him are going to be on the other, just by default. And he's got an agenda again, and he is pursuing that. As he, he is looking for people to pursue that with him. And even as Christians, as people who he loves, if we don't get on board with that, we're going to be miserable. We're not going to experience shalom, all those words, completeness, maturity, security, prosperity, health, well-being. You're not going to experience any of that if you're not on board with what Jesus is doing in your life and in the world. You're going to, um, in Acts 26, Paul is recounting his testimony, how he got saved. We talked about that before. And he says, God said this to him, Saul, you know, why are you doing this? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad's like a cattle prod. And um, folks used it to get animals to move in a different direction. And God's saying, Saul, what you are doing, persecuting the church, fighting against Jesus and Christianity, that's kicking against the goads. That's like an animal. You've got a cattle prod and he's trying to go the other way. It's going to hurt because the guy's going to keep sticking you until you start walking in the right direction. And the same thing is true of us. If we don't line up with where God is going, we're kicking against the goads and he's going to keep sticking us till we move in the right direction. And it's not because he enjoys sticking us. It's because he knows where he's going and it's better than where you're going. And it's better than where I'm going. And he wants to get us there. And if we don't line up with his agenda in our own life, we're kicking against the goads. And you're going to feel the cattle prod. And you maybe are already feeling the cattle prod in your life. When you get off course, that's what he does. And it's not, again, because he takes any pleasure in our pain. It's because he knows where his bus is going and is better than where yours is going. And he wants you to get there. So misaligned priorities are a huge issue when it comes to experiencing the peace of God. If you're not... You just need to look at, are you missing the mark in that area? Are you valuing things that God doesn't value or that he values less? Is your number one God's number three? Your your number one needs to be his number one for your own life and for the world. If you're a Christian, your default setting is peace. That's your inheritance as a Christian. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. If you believe that what he did... And through his life, death, and resurrection was effective, then that's available to you. That's Again, that's your default setting. All of those words, security and well-being and health and maturity, wholeness, all of that harmony, all that stuff is yours as a Christian. And so the question is, are you experiencing it? Not every day, but on the whole, would you say, yeah, that's my life is characterized by peace. If you would say, if yes, Good for you. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. No, that's what most of us say. Then why not? Is it one of these areas? Is there something inside of you? Don't blame it on your circumstances. I don't mean that in any type of negative way, but that's just not going to help you. If all you're ever doing is trying to fix your circumstances, you're going to kill yourself because you can't fix them. You'll put out this fire and then there's going to be another one. What are you going to do? You're going to kill yourself. So it's, let's figure out what's going on in here 
So it won't really matter what's going on out here. And even if what's going on out here throws you for a little bit, you'll, be, you'll have a center that you can come back to. And if you don't have a center you can come back to, again, it won't matter what's happening out here. Are you missing the mark in some way? Do you, are you doing anything out of selfish ambition and vain conceit? That's a hard thing to own up to, but are you? If you are, if there's something, if you're promoting your agenda, even if it's an awesome agenda, if it's yours, it's not his. And so it's less than. Are you promoting your own agenda, seeking to be noticed in some way? Is that a driver for you? You're not going to experience God's peace because you're driving the train and you're not very good at it. No offense. Is there an area of fear or unbelief in your life? Some, you might be 99 out of 100, you're great, but there's this one little sliver where you can't trust the Lord. And I would say, is it because you don't think he cares about you? And again, you might have a track record to say, see, I've got all these instances where he showed me he didn't care. We can deal with all of those things, but we have to deal with all of those things. If you're ever going to experience this peace, you've got to figure out why are you afraid in this area? Because as long as you're afraid you're not going to experience his peace. Is it because your priorities don't line up with his? Again, your priorities might be awesome, but are they his priorities for you? And are they his priorities for the world? Because if they're not, then what you're experiencing is that dividing line of Jesus who said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. You're experiencing the sword. You're experiencing the cattle prod that's saying, your, your, your direction's great, mine's better. And he's trying to pull you back on course. And again, that's not a negative. That's because he knows where he's going, and where he's going is better than where we're going. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's none of those things. But I would just, if you're not, you can experience his peace, and if you're not, there's a reason. So unless you just enjoy being churning all the time, let's figure it out. And we can figure it out this morning. Bo and these guys are going to come back, lead us in worship. We're going to have a little time of ministry. We've got teams in the back who will be more than happy to pray with you about anything you have going on. Um, Or you can just respond to the Lord in your own heart. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll worship for a bit. God, I do thank you um, that uh, Jesus is our Prince of Peace, and that uh, He is our peace, and that through Jesus um, we can experience peace with you and peace with others, peace with ourselves, peace in the world. Again, regardless of the circumstances. So I pray now, Father, that by your Spirit you would speak to our hearts. If there are things, if there are areas of our life, Lord, where we're missing the mark, I pray you would show us those areas in your gentle and loving way uh, to pull us back onto course so we can experience the benefits um, of your life, death, and resurrection. So come minister to us as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.